Welcome to the C-Level Conversations podcast. Do you want to learn how leaders make their hardest decisions and why? Then you're in the right place. Join us for inspirational and educational interviews with dynamic senior executives across all industry sectors, sharing real-life lessons and practical tips to elevate your career as a leader. And now, here is your host, Amrutha Morali. It's been an unimaginable year. The worst bushfire season ever, pandemic, economic implosion, deaths, loss, and lots of new normals to navigate, especially for leaders leading large teams in multiple locations in different countries even. Leading through crisis is our topic today. Today's guest is a crisis management expert. She has led large teams across multiple countries and has successfully managed teams in America through the GFC and the recent COVID-19 lockdown in Melbourne. Today she explains her key takeaways from leading through crisis, how she kept her teams motivated, engaged and productive in the work from home environment and her three top priorities to build a strong recovery. I have Tracy Glenn, Head of Customer Assists and Fraud Operations at Latitude Financial Services. Super excited to have you on our show and thank you for being my first guest and sharing your experiences and lessons with us today. I'll dive straight into it. For those listeners who don't know who you are, can you give us a snapshot of your story? Take us through your journey and where you are today. Yeah, awesome, and, and thanks for having me. Um, it's exciting to do to do a podcast and a good breakup from the the normal um, zooms and webinars. So, a little bit about me. So, Westpac um, brought me to Australia. I've been here now for four years, and spent uh, or I've been here now. Yeah, four years. I spent about three years at Westpac before moving to Latitude. So, I've now been in Adelaide and in Melbourne. The majority of my career has been managing through crisis, and I worked for four of the top 10 financial institutions in the U.S. prior to coming to Australia, City, Chase, Capital One, Goldman Sachs. Um, notably, too, also worked for Fannie Mae. So for our listeners that don't know, uh, Fannie Mae is a uh, government-sponsored enterprise. They make mortgages available in the U.S. to low and moderate income borrowers. And they don't provide loans, but they do back and guarantee them in the secondary mortgage market. Fannie Mae got a lot of attention during the GFC. Um, I, I, I share that uh, because that's probably the, the most memorable portion of my career. I did some incredible work um, with Fannie Mae and IBM to keep customers in their home at the peak of the GFC um, when we were foreclosing and taking um, repossessions of homes at about 1800 a month. And to put that in perspective, most of our banks in Australia don't do 1,800 mortgage repossessions in a year. So it was just some incredible work to, to think creatively at the peak of the crisis and um, figure out solutions that helped our customers. One of the most rewarding parts of my career to see something that I created and, and grew and tested and incubated actually roll out uh, across the country as it became part of the, the policy. So, um, yeah, I, I, I look back very proud um, on, on those, those many years of hard work, blood, sweat and tears um, as we helped uh, the U.S. recover post the GFC. What an incredible journey with eminent brands and uh, significant achievements. I'm sure you had some great lessons uh, learned at, during your time at Fannie Mae. You're with Latitude now in Melbourne. So when you started with them, what was your mandate? 
So at Latitude, my mandate, my most immediate mandate was to arrest control of our delinquency position, our loss position. Uh, my role had largely been vacant for close to a year um, when I joined oh, the team. Thanks. So yeah, I was joining a team that was really desperate for a vision and a purpose. Um, while Latitude had a, a phenomenal um, vision and purpose post the, the GE um, transition to Latitude, this team just, they, they lacked a leader and they lacked someone that, um, that, that helped steer the ship and helped make that relevant for them. So I spent the first 12 months really focusing on the basics, um, reverting back to what, what makes good customer experience, um, increasing commercial acumen, and um, you know, re- resetting uh, all the fundamentals, uh, which was which was challenging to be honest. I hadn't been, um, you know, it had been a while since um, I'd really had to focus at the grassroots and build, uh, make sure the foundation was quite strong before actually building and erecting the the house. But that's where we had to go, and that's where I had to be flexible as a leader and acknowledge that um, the foundations had to be strong in order to 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 create a performing team. And did you find that, um, you know, the staff, the team who'd been there, the grassroots um, have been with the organization for a long time? And how did they respond to your um, strategies of change? Or do you find that they uh, were not very uh, receptive of change? You know, you think we say we have two speed economy. We say we have, two, you know, uh, two speed. We use that a lot. I would say that it was equally um, a, a two speed employee movement. Um, you certainly had your very long tenured employees and, and typically people want to put them in a box and segment them out and say, you know what, they've been forever. They're, they're, you know, they're set in their ways. But I actually found that group that had gone through the, the GE transition to latitude as being a very flexible group. Um, they just wanted to be, they just wanted their voice to be heard and they wanted to have a greater understanding of the why we were doing what we were doing. But once they became on board, they really stood behind the vision and the purpose and, and recognized that that they had a tremendous role in playing because they did have the, the greatest experience in the legacy. So we, but we really needed to shift quickly um, from admiring the past to, to gaining momentum that would carry us into the future. And then of course, your new employees um, bring rich experience um, and and recency outside of latitude, which um, creates some excitement if they've actually seen and been a part of some of the things that we're starting to deliver. Yes, and I think um, you know sometimes as well, people who've been with the company for a long time are also ready for change. Yeah, that's absolutely the case, and and is still what I experience. Um, I you know some of our biggest, my biggest advocates, my my leaders' biggest advocates are more long tenured staff. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, you're a crisis management expert and you've built um, you know, productive teams and strategies during the GFC and for a very strong recovery. So what were your key takeaways from that? Yeah, I think one of the, the key takeaways is how much over a crisis period our people look to the leaders. And in, in our current situation and, and thinking back to the GFC, um, you know, my pressure cooker days is what I call it. Uh, there, there, you know, the yeah. all levels of employees in the organization are looking to the leaders to know that it's okay, to know that things will be all right. And we have an obligation as leaders to bring the right mix of optimism and positivity to our people. Um, you know, if you if I think back to the GFC, uh, we were we were trying again every thirty days. Um, you know, it was a constant start stop, adjust, restart, stop, adjust. Yes. 
And that can be incredibly taxing on people. You think you've pushed them to their absolute limits and then you're asking them for, to give you even more. And I think that, that from my experience, they're, they're willing to join that, um, that, that journey when they've, they've got leaders that are conveying a really clear purpose with the, the right balance of optimism and positivity um, to, to basically uh, outline that while we don't know exactly um, what, what the end point will look like, we've got steps that will take us there and recognizing that we're not necessarily going to follow the quickest the quickest route from point A to point B, we're going to take some detours along the way. And I think being very upfront with them about that, um, that we're not going to get it right. We're not going to be perfect, but we are going to try our best. And here's what we're all hoping to accomplish um, at the end. And here's the destination we're working to. But absolutely, again, having that that right mix of optimism and positivity, we owe it to our people who um, are looking um, for us to tell them everything's going to be okay. I love the way you put it, how leaders need to provide the right mix of optimism and positivity, be transparent and communicate your strategy to your people, especially in a time of crisis, when your people are looking up to you to know everything's going to be okay. Yeah, I would say, you know, communication spot on um, is key. The other thing that is really, really important that we don't do enough of as leaders is show gratitude. Uh, Gratitude is free uh, and it's, it's so underused and uh, showing gratitude, appreciation and making those small things that they're delivering every single day relevant to them, the work and the contribution that they're making, the adjustments that they're making to their, you know, personal ways of working, like working from home (laughs) Um, and uh, you know, the professional things that are changing more digital and automation that we're throwing at them, showing gratitude and making that, their, their role very relevant um, as a part of how it fits into the larger, the larger community and um, the, the larger organizational view is, is really, really important for people. And I, and I think, you know, a challenge for everyone listening to this podcast, gratitude is free and it's the, it's the best motivator for people. And we really need to ramp up as leaders um, our expressions of gratitude over the crisis. Oh, yes, that is such an important point you've raised there, Tracy. Gratitude has to be part of the culture. Leaders who embrace gratitude can engage with your staff and make them feel valued. Now, you've seen the GFC and uh, you've seen the COVID crisis. In your view, how are they different? From from what I've seen, and now I don't have the U.S. perspective, of course, right now, other than talking to some of my ex-colleagues, uh, what the main difference from what I'm seeing now versus the GFC. Well, two things, actually. One is the we've got the compounding view of the health crisis. Um, So it's it's impacting people on a a far greater personal level, the fear. Um, You know, during the GFC, there was absolutely fear of losing your home and um, the financial uncertainty, the unemployment and all of those things we're seeing in an economic crisis. But when you've got the compounded view of the health crisis and just appear for the safety of your children and yourself and your parents and um, your loved ones, um, it, it becomes a highly it becomes a much greater emotive situation. Yes, this crisis comes with many emotional challenges to deal with, which leads me to my next question. A recent Harvard research showed managers are now having to deal with parents working from home, where the responsibility was heavily falling on women. As a senior executive, how have you dealt with balancing family and work during this lockdown? (laughs) 
Spot on. I mean, there's, I think there's been challenges for everyone in this process. Um, you know, it's almost like, uh, it's been a, you know, I like to illustrate to my team. It's, it's like, it's been, we're blowing up a balloon. And just when you think the balloon is at its max capacity, you, you, you exert more air <laughs> and stretch it further. And, yes. uh, you know, if I could, if I could create that picture for, for people, this, this, we've, we've continually added more to the, more to the balloon. And, um, and we've, it, you know, it has been a challenge as, as a working mom, as, um, many, many months and I'm in Victoria. So we've had, we've had many, many months of, of homeschooling and I've got a 13 year old and a seven year old and, um, you know, 13 year old, all, all he wants to do is play basketball. Seven year old, um, all she wants to do is, um, use paper again and get off of her devices and looking forward to being able to color in. So yeah, it has been a challenge getting that right. I'd say, um, that the thing that I recognized quite quickly and the advice I gave to my, my colleagues was to, to be kind to ourselves. We, yes. oh, we weren't going to be perfect over this period, but we needed to show a little grace. Um, and I, and I use that word quite frequently, um, showing grace for ourselves and each other and, and being kind to ourselves and recognizing that we were all learning together. Now at Latitude, how has things changed um, in terms of how Latitude conducts its business since COVID has hit us? Yeah, wow. Um, what hasn't changed? <laughs> it's probably <laughs> exactly. easier, an easier question. Everything has changed. Um, and yeah, it seems like everything has changed. Uh, and, you know, we're 99% work from home. Um, and the only reason that's not at 100% is we do support a few people that, um, for very personal, specific reasons, need to be in the office. But, um, yeah, 99% work from home. And if you were to ask me a year ago if I ever thought a customer contact center could be working from home, I was in the there's no way um, group. And I've seen us make the impossible possible, as with many other firms that have transitioned to a, to a work from home environment. We really raised the focus, the attention on um, what we needed to do in the digital space. So like others, we, we really increased our, our digital footprint. You never, you never lose the opportunity to use a crisis to, to get some, um, some investment in um, digital capability. So where we had no capability previously, um, we, we, have, we really increased our customer self-serve capability, our workflow to our people. We increased our reporting and visibility, probably have some of the best reporting um, that, that I've ever had in my career and um, as a result of just the organization really rallying together um, for the same purpose um, in, in ensuring we were there for our customers and our people over this period. And really with a customer or, excuse me, a people come first focus, we deliberately broke out our meetings to, to not, um, to to, uh, we immediately broke out our meetings to have specific people-focused meetings versus financial commercial outcome meetings um, where we weren't uh, crossing over to discuss both. We were genuinely focused on the care of our people and getting that right and had other forums where we could address other things um, and give ourselves the space. And I think that really allowed us to bring our people on the journey and um, focus on what mattered first, because getting it right uh, by our people inevitably drives it for our customers as well. From what you've just said, it's been a great fast forward in technology and something that would have taken perhaps 12 months to transition has had to happen uh, very quickly and very rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Many of the things that we had on our wish list or on our future (laughs) programs of work, all of a sudden accelerated and happened. So I couldn't be 
I couldn't be happier about the, the investment in technology. A and very busy after- lockdown you had, seems like. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it certainly has been um, a very, very um, busy, busy lockdown period and a significant amount of change for our people um, over that, that period as well. So at the same time that they're adjusting to working from home, they're also adjusting to new ways of working just um, on, the, on the actual tools and, and devices, right? So, um, you know, I had, I had a few employees that didn't even have home internet. So oh, wow. completely changed their, their lives. Um, and, and when you think about, um, the magnitude of change, um, for, for many of our employees who had never worked from home previously and the frontline customer facing roles, they then evolved into, um, successfully working from home and we haven't seen any decline in, in, in productivity. Um, so successfully working from home, but also having to work differently because we're throwing digital and automation at them as well. Isn't that interesting when you're pushed, uh, you know, to, when human beings are pushed to this crisis situation, we adapt to change so much more quickly than in normal situations. So, Like you said, 12 months ago, if you said to someone who didn't have internet at home that you'd have to work from home and this is the new normal, uh, they would have probably resisted. Uh, but now when they have to do it, they have um, really embraced it. And you said your productivity hasn't dropped. So it's an interesting human behavior there, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, with, with 99% of our people working remotely during lockdown, um, it, it certainly has been a challenge too. We, uh, not everything's perfect. Um, you know, keeping teams motivated and engaged um, has certainly been a challenge and it's a constant challenge. And Yes, and how have you managed to do that? Yeah, it's, uh, we keep trying. <laughs> I like to say you win some, you lose some. We're losing a lot. Uh, for example, we attempted Zoom karaoke. Oh, um, how did that go? <laughs> may I say that was a catastrophic fail, um, especially <laughs> with some of the, the home internet connections. But you know what? The teams had a good laugh, and we will put that on our top 10 fails um, for the year when we do reflection. But the, the thing is, as leaders, keep testing and trialing things. And and just be very open and reflective with your teams. And I, I think they see the they see that you're trying. Uh, and I think more. that's important, right? They see that you're trying. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of what has worked, uh, can you give us some examples? So, you know, R&R is the part where I, I'm still as a leader getting getting the most questions. Um, it's, it's, you know, people want to be together and they want to see each other and they, they want to have their, their typical reward and recognition um, and, and come together. So that's, that's been the biggest challenge and zoom um, while we've, we've tried to get creative, doesn't, um, doesn't represent the same level of excitement um, and celebration as um, your traditional get together and have a team lunch or, or let's all huddle together in the office has. So um, we've, tried, um, you know, things supporting local businesses too, um, like art classes where a team would get together and all paint a canvas together. Oh, how interesting. um, Yeah, we've um, tried, um, there's virtual Zoom, there's virtual escape rooms now. Oh, is there? (laughs) Well, so, you know, we've had to get really creative in this space, especially in Victoria, given the elongated lockdown period. Um, We have a um, lot of webinars. Um, And I I say a lot of webinars and 
we're very deliberate though. We're not going to have a webinar unless we have something very specific to share. So uh, I have a monthly webinar with my team. I give a business update and then I invite somebody along and I invite somebody along based on what my team has told me um, they're interested in hearing about. So, um, you know, really reaching out to your, your frontline specialists, understanding what's relevant to them, what questions they have, what concerns they have, and then being very deliberate in your webinars. Um, I have found to be really valuable. And um, I've noticed too, the teams are responding incredibly well to the, the Q&A sessions on webinars. So I'll have an hour long webinar scheduled, but keep my content to 30 minutes and then just offer up Q&A. And um, I'll, I'll walk away with 50 questions from people. They just, there's, there's a safety um, in the, the Q&A on the webinar because they can ask anonymously as well. So it's been so rewarding for me to see that that's really a space that people have adjusted well to and they feel um, that, that it's a space where they can ask questions and, and gain the answers for the things that are concerning them. Yeah, I guess it gives you a, a good insight into what your team is um, concerned about and what uh, where, what's going on in their minds. Yeah, exactly. You have to be more deliberate in, mm. uh, in engaging people in in our current environment. It takes more time and effort because you don't have the corridor conversations, the water, water cooler conversations, the quick, hey, let's just get together and talk about this. So you definitely have to, to do more pre-planning and be be more deliberate. It's important for people to feel together and have that opportunity to have that informal banter as we would in an office environment. Yeah, absolutely. And using things too, like group chats, um, whether it be WhatsApp or Microsoft Teams, wherever uh, you can create that environment of banter that you would typically have in the office. Yes. Uh, one of the things that some of our specialists miss the most is that opportunity just to have the the toing and the froing or the, the quick banter. So we've recognized really leveraging and encouraging those platforms has been, been positive too. I mean, who doesn't love a good meme to break up their day? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So um, moving on to company culture, what does it mean to you and um, how have you maintained it in this remote environment? Um, wow, this is, a, this is a good one. Um, company culture to me, um, I think we, we all play a role in, absolutely. in culture. And um, it's, it's something that I've told my team as we, we transition to working from home. And, and that's my, my entire team. Um, you know, the, the 350 or so people that are under my, my, um, my leadership. As I said, you have some in New Zealand as well. Yep. I have um, locations both in Australia and New Zealand. And that in itself has presented a challenge because the customer behavior, the geographies, the lockdowns, the work from home capability, everything has just been so vastly different over this period. Um, but in bringing my team together, I said, you know, each of you, will will drive the culture more than um, each of the individual leaders will. Um, the way that you show care and support each other, the way that you respond to needs in the organization. And our people have relentlessly reinvented themselves. That's the tagline and the call to action that I gave my team at the start of the crisis. Relentlessly reinvent yourself over this period. Oh, um, I love that. And, and we, absolutely, fantastic. Yeah, we absolutely saw that. You know, we saw, you know, a couple hundred people who were doing sales roles at one point go and support our hardship teams and our servicing teams. And I, I couldn't be more proud and more inspired by the fact that people really recognize that need and, um, and did reinvent themselves. And they continue to do so. Um, so, I, you know, company culture 
to me is uh, from a leader perspective in, in the influence and ability that we have to drive it. We need to recognize, I have two philosophies as it comes to, to leadership and driving company culture. Um, one is be the leader you'd want to work for. It's, it's so simple, uh, yet profound. And then the second one, and I reflect on this every single day, is make a difference for one person every single day. Oh, I and love I that. I challenge my leaders. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I challenge my leaders on that. I reflect on it. I don't always get it right. Um, but I, I try to make those deliberate experiences relevant to someone and, and try to invest just a little bit of extra um, in, in, in an individual or in a situation to really be an inspiring, life-giving leader um, to make a difference for one person every single day. And I think that's truly how you change culture. That's amazing. And your um, staff must, um, you know, begin to see this in you and uh, learn from it. And if they get inspired and, you know, can make a difference to one person in their lives, that's such a, you know, a contagious sort of an effect, a good contagious. Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, um, and, and it's, and it's a call to action. And I've, and I've said it quite broadly and before and said, if we were all making a difference for one person every single day, think of, Think of how quickly you'd um, you'd inspire your uh, your workforce if you were yeah. doing that, leaders. That's amazing. That's a great um, point there. Thank you. And um, you know, in terms of your customer experience itself, how has that changed? You know, your customers are in lockdown. You're in lockdown, and how has their um, experience changed? What are their expectations? Like always, I think, um, especially for the area which I represent in an organization, which is your customers that are experiencing financial difficulty and hardship, want to receive a solution at the first point of contact. And I think they're just the customer's resilience over this period has been phenomenal. I mean, some financial institutions were experiencing three hour wait times um, and customers were holding for that long um, to get an answer concerning their financial situation. So I, I think, you know, that's just so powerful that they were so desperate to talk to their, you know, financial service provider to hear that it was going to be okay, to hear that they yes. had options. And I think that really shows the gravity of the situation. Yes, that's that's what was going through my mind as to, you know, they must be really concerned and really worried and happy to wait that long to uh, get an answer. And also from the other side, you mentioned before how salespeople, you had deployed them to work in hardship. Uh, I think coming out of this crisis, when they go back to selling, they'll be very empathetic and um, they've seen the other side. And that would change them as um, salespeople. I'm sure that would make them better salespeople and give better customer experience um, to your customers there. Yeah, I think the investment in, in people to learn new skills and you know, part of it is just the confidence that it gives you when you've tried something completely out of your remit. You yes. know that um, that bit of that bit of just confidence in I, I conquered that, and um, yeah, and absolutely to your point about you know as much as we can help people understand the downstream and upstream um, of the the portion of the process that they um, influence and control, I, I think it just makes them them more effective in their role and more compassionate in their role. Yes, absolutely. Now, what's your biggest challenge right now in your role and um, how do you think you'll be, uh, how are you going to overcome it? I think our biggest challenge right now is what does, you know, I'll use the tagline, what does the COVID normal look like? 
you know, they've been working from home since many since, um, you know, April, May, June. Um, so, so many, many months now. So they've got a a new state of, of normal. And then we're talking about the COVID normal and what does returning to work look like and in what capacity. And it's so important as an organization to get that right. And recognize we haven't we have established a new way of working. How do we make it beyond a disaster recovery uh, or a BCP and make it part of our how do we challenge ourselves to make it work ongoing? Because many of our people really enjoy the flexibility that it offers to not have commute, to not have the expense of um, transport. And to have more family time um, by by reducing the commuting period, so that's that's front of mind, I think, for myself and probably a lot of others as well. How do we get the new BAU um, in the best possible way? Because it's the next uncharted territory we have. Is there anything that you're concerned about? Anything that makes you nervous? Um, you feel you're not sure what you're doing. I think we have the right team and the right leaders looking at this and we're um, we're asking our people their opinion too. So lots of, right. lots of lots of surveys about what what do you want and what do you expect um, as opposed to making those decisions top down. Um, we really want to make those decisions bottom up and and do something that um, is, is is going to be effective for our people as well because they have showed us the utmost flexibility over this period. But you've also got to balance, you know, so many things to balance over the, with these decisions, you've got the external influence. So you've got, you know, the, um, the economic factors, you know, we need to return to our high rises in the city. We need to inject into the economy again um, and need to support the local cafes and restaurants that, that rely on, on the, the, the workers um, returning to the the, the city, right? Um, and then yes. you also have the internal influence of you know our people want this as a as a long term uh, you know strategic long term opportunity for them to work from home. So you've got so, and then you've got the actual what is safe <laughs> playing too. So you've got so many things to balance as you're making those decisions, um, and and striking the right balance across those three elements is is going to be a challenge undeniably. Absolutely. And, you know, you're a key leader, you're making um, key decisions for, and you're managing frontline staff and your customer experience. And you've, as you've just explained, you've got a raft of challenges there, a lot on your mind. So what are your top three priorities uh, to build a strong recovery? We've got to maintain our focus on our people and our people continue to be productive um, in this environment and continue to show flexibility. So we will, we will continue to show flexibility with them as well. So we, um, you know, people, number one, hands down, um, two and three, um, we need to ensure that we're adapting and recognizing, um, where there's additional customer need, um, and where we need to adjust and change based on, based on the unknowns there as well. And I, and I think, um, I think everyone will feel that there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainties about what um, what the commercial implications will be when job seeker, job keeper, and all of that comes to an end. Yes. Um, and a lot of unknowns. Um, so, so absolutely, the customer and the third priority um, I would say is um, my direct team and recognizing that they're taking on a lot and have taken on a lot. And we've asked our frontline leaders and 
their job is far more complex than it was previously. And, and it's harder um, for all the reasons we mentioned. It's harder to get a hold of people. It's harder, it's harder to be a team lead. So I think um, I'd say beyond just overall people as a focus, focusing on those leader levels that um, that some of them are probably at their breaking point um, and they're probably at their max and they've sustained a significant period of intense pressure for a long, yes. a, a long period now. And they, they need to be looked after and, um, and we need to evaluate the evolution of that role. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your priorities with our listeners today. What are you curious about right now? And what are you researching for you personally in your own role? Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time on how to be a, this concept of um, how to be a life giving leader. Oh, wow. Um, And uh, I'll I'll share just a quick illustration um, and and to put a U.S. perspective on it. So the Colorado River, um, it, it created the Grand Canyon in the United States. It's one of the most powerful bodies of water that you have in the United States. However, it starts as a stream, a small stream that you can actually straddle. That's how the Colorado River starts. And um, if the Colorado River were to remain the size of where it begins its course, um, it could it could hardly have an impact, right? It couldn't have created the Grand Canyon yes. had it had it maintained that small stream. So um, what what happens is other streams start to join that stream. And they start to join the flow. And that's when, so what that illustrates is what starts small can turn into one of the most powerful forces humanity has ever experienced. And that to me is this concept of life-giving leadership. It can do the same. Um, When we take the small amount of influence we each individually have and recognize how powerful that is, um, and we're then given more influence and more opportunities to bring, um, bring hope and optimism and positivity to others. And um, as senior leaders, we have the opportunity for our people to join into that vision and purpose um, and, and, and join that perspective. And you become a group of life-giving leaders. And I think that's what our people really need right now. Um, and, and we need to recognize that even if we don't have the title of leadership, everyone has the influence over someone. And um, it's, it's, it's the responsibility we have and the influence over others and using that to the best of our ability. And um, you know, the trust that we place in our people tends to be lower now than it was in the past. And I think people question whether, you know, you're sucking life or you're giving life. And, um, you know, are you having your team members live on their heels where they're insecure or are you managing them properly and um, giving them purpose? And, the pursuit of being this life-giving leader um, is you never actually arrive, but you just get closer to the goal. So I've done a lot of reading about, you know, this, this concept of life-giving leadership, and it's really helped me propel forward and feel a purpose over this period of, um, you know, and it gets back to, well, I can't make a difference maybe for all 340 people. Every single day I can make a difference for one person. And I need to trust that that one person will then make a difference. It's that, it's that pay it forward almost concept too. And I think we dismiss sometimes because it's the harder, more deliberate thing to do is focus on what we can do as individual leaders to make a difference for someone. We have to be so deliberate in that. Otherwise, the day-to-day becomes so busy. You've had 14 Zoom meetings. You've ended your day and you go, what the hell have I actually done? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes. So, 
Yeah. So I know that was a long, long answer, but um, as you can tell, hopefully, I, I just um, I've really been investing in how can I lead different and how can I change and how can I inspire my leaders and invest in them over this period to do the same thing for their people. Oh, that was an amazing answer, and it definitely wasn't long as fantastic. Uh, I think you keep saying how you know we need to be deliberate in this environment, and uh, you know I love the way you said you don't have to have the uh, you know leader in your title, but everyone is a leader because you're influencing people continuously. Uh, I think that was um, that was a nice takeaway there for me, and that's uh, wonderful. Now, what do you think the new normal is going to look like, Tracy? Uh, is, you know, for the world itself as a whole, and uh, more specifically for financial services. Wow! Um, as soon as I think we're getting into a new normal, um, you know, you mentioned New Zealand, and I do have a New Zealand um, operation, and and you know, they came out of a very strict lockdown, and we're returning, and now have um, you know reentered. Um, some some version of a lockdown twice. And I think the new normal is not a stable state. I think the new normal is um, incredibly dynamic and ever-changing um, where we have to be prepared for the unexpected. So the, the new normal for me is elements of work from home, in the office, wherever you'd like, where's the best talent and capability, who's differentiating themselves. And I think that's going to be harder for our people too to really um, differentiate themselves, especially those that, that want to do the next. Um, when, you're, when you're relying almost exclusively on email communications and, um, and digital communications, you really have to do a lot to stand out. And I think we need to take, create time and space for people to, to do that. But um, yeah, the new normal. Wow. Um, if I only knew this answer um, to, to me, it's, it's a showing ongoing flexibility, um, yeah. ongoing um, resistance and persistence. It's that it's getting back to that, you know, reinventing ourselves relentlessly because I don't think it's going to, it's going to slow down anytime soon. Yeah, you know, everything's changed and COVID's been really hard um, across the globe. We've seen a lot of companies have uh, had to uh, close down. So what, in your view, is, you know, what makes that difference? There are companies that have um, stayed open and continue to, um, you know, grow and thrive and some haven't. So what do you think separates the two? I think it's the the team and the talent and the people. Um, it's the people. I, yeah, I do. I think it's I think it's the people. Um, and I think that it was their ability to respond um, as well. So and, and rally behind things for a common purpose, um, put your pride aside and at all levels recognize you're going for the for the same thing. Yes, and I think that's what I've seen from a lot of conversations I've had in the last uh, if, since COVID came along is everyone's come together. Uh, leaders, frontline people, everyone's working together to uh, to a common goal. And I think that's the thing, you know, to the to the new COVID normal. Why can't that be the normal? Why does it take a crisis to do that? Yes. Um, and that's where I'm spending a lot of time reflecting: is how do we just make that organic, make it in our DNA to to behave and act that way? Um, because you so quickly revert back to your your silos, um, as opposed to we're we're one team. Um, who can accomplish far more together. Yes. Now, I know budget's been tight and businesses are being very careful with their budget, but if you had $1 million extra in your budget, how would you spend that and why? And why? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I've always wondered if I got a million dollars. Um, I would, uh, 
I would probably create um, a program for some of our more vulnerable customers. Oh, um, and, and I think getting that right, it would be really important. Um, you, you would, you would really want it to support, um, some of our customers that, that are doing it just extremely tough. Um, you know, those that experience, um, domestic and family violence and, um, yes. uh, they're just, they're, yeah. And I think about that too, you know, during my GFC days as well, those customers that just, just at their breaking point, um, and how do you create the right program? around that. I'd, I'd also say for, for my people, and, and you've noticed now people's a big focus for me, yes. um, you know, increase our, our reward and recognition of um, those people, you know, those people day in and day out that have been bringing their absolute personal best to work every day. Oh, that's wonderful. What's been your biggest surprise um, in the last few months? Biggest surprise over the last few months has been I would have to say the ability uh, for my people to make working from home work. I was the absolute biggest um, skeptic. <laughs> I am so old school when it comes to customer facing roles needed to be needing to be in a brick and mortar office building. Um, and that has absolutely been my biggest surprise. And because I even told my team, yeah, this isn't going to work. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I think they, I think they just like a challenge. Um, so yeah, that has been my absolute biggest surprise, and I'm and I'm delighted that um, that the teams made it work. It's not about us making it work. We've we've developed the technology and um, enabled them, but they're the ones doing all the hard work that have made it a success. Yes, you know, no matter how sophisticated the technology is, it's the people who uh, make it or break it. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's wonderful. Now, you've done and achieved so much over the years, and you're still so passionate about it. So what keeps you motivated uh, in what you do? I decided early on um, I was created <laughs> to be a people leader and that it, um, it it motivates me. I also love what I do. And, and passionate about what I do. Every, uh, you know, my, my partner says it doesn't feel like you you go to work every day um, because you enjoy uh, what you do so much. So I've got to say, I'm one of those fortunate people that um, found something that uh, I'm good at and that I genuinely love. So it doesn't take much effort. Uh, I love the fact that in, in operations and um, financial services, we get to start over again every 30 days. Um, we get to trial things. We get to be creative and innovative and um, inspirational. And if it doesn't work, um, we've got ongoing opportunity to try to make it better the next time and evolve our thinking. So, um, yeah, I would say uh, being a people leader and just and just finding finding the career that doesn't feel like feel like a job. When did you find out that figure out that this is what you wanted to do in your life? Yeah, I remember um, sitting down in university. Uh, I was in the counselor's office at my university, my third year in, um, going for my finance degree. I was actually a part-time collector at the time. I was uh, doing auto collections, first and second payment default on subprime auto loans um, for Citibank. And I remember sitting in the counselor's office. I was registering for school, doing some more classes. And I thought to myself, I really love this. And I'm good at it and um, I'm getting recognized. And 
I then quickly got a leadership role and said, oh, I really like leading people. And you know what? People are coming to me um, to get answers and I'm able to mold them and develop them and motivate them. And um, it just continued to grow from there. I, I just loved the pace and the rate and pace of operations and how, you know, you get to dabble in so many things from projects and change to, you know, the, the deliberately seeing what you're doing lead, lead, lead a result, right. Um, have an outcome and make a difference. And you can track that all the way to the customer level. And there's not a lot of roles that in, in careers that you're able to do that. Yes, operations is very diverse and it's very exciting and that's where the action is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess I, I've said before, maybe I'm just crazy, but I absolutely love it. And, um, and I love the fact that, like I said, we get to we get to start over again every 30 days. Yeah. And Tracy, you know, you're such a passionate um, you know, leader and you've achieved so much in your career. How did you, did you find, you know, being a woman was hard in, uh, you know, male dominated financial services world? In the U.S. early on in my career, um, I didn't necessarily find that being a female um, was a challenge so much as my age. So I was always the youngest in the room um, at the most senior positions. And I felt like uh, many of your, the longer tenured people enroll in the more senior people that I was surrounding myself with rather than truly invest and, and foster development for me, instead wanted to discredit um, because they felt a certain number of years was required to, to have um, an opinion on that topic or expertise on that topic. And um, that compounded with, you know, I was often the only female in the room um, in the U.S. and the youngest um, yeah, you had to, you had to feed yourself a lot of positive thoughts, um, and, and look for other outlets. And, um, I quickly sought mentors that told me it was okay to be me and be who I was. And because that made me, a, the, you know, that gave me the, dif- dif- that was a differentiator for me. And when I think about my journey to Australia, um, it was a 25 minute presentation in the U S, um, that two years later, um, got me a phone call. Um, that, that led to this incredible opportunity to be in uh, the most one of the most beautiful parts of the world and get to experience such incredible things. And I think and I'm so grateful for uh, my mentor um, that, you know, told me early on in my career, I didn't have to fit the mold, which for me was, um, you know, was very male dominated and a very different, not charismatic, not not the spiritual leader that had this energy and enthusiasm and joy. It was it, it was very different. And I thought early on, I needed to fit that mold. And she put me on my on the right course and said, no, you be you and you be different because you're memorable and people will remember you. And people will be drawn to you because you are different. And I'm so grateful for that advice. And I've, and I've carried that forward with many female leaders who um, feel that they need to, to fit a certain stereotype or mold. And I'd encourage you need to be the best version of yourself because that's what you can be best at. Oh, that's wonderful. And I think um, through this COVID as well, being authentic and authenticity is being recognized more than it was pre-COVID. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I absolutely do. So Tracy, you've achieved so much in your um, profession, in professional life. Where do you see yourself in the next five years from now? Yeah, in the next five years, I'd like to continue to grow in a, as a leader um, and continue to have greater influence. And by greater influence, I don't necessarily mean team size. Um, I learned early on in my career that the size of my team didn't 
didn't um, didn't create self worth for me. I've managed you know upwards of fifteen hundred people at the height of the GFC in my previous roles in the U.S. A massive teams. For me, um, by greater influence, I mean a greater level of responsibility and ability to to influence change in an organization. And for me, that means you know achieving the next levels. Um, and, and even often working for smaller organizations, you know, many people question you, you left Westpac and came to a smaller organization. I came to a smaller organization because I felt like I could have a greater influence. So, um, the next five years, I'd like to, to continue to challenge myself to um, make a difference for more people. Uh, Tracy, you wish you all the best for that. And you, you know, you're a very busy woman. So how do you plan to rest and self-care? How do you manage that? You know, I have been unapologetic about taking time off over this period. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's really important. It's absolutely a lesson I learned from the GFC um, and from the U.S. Um, the Australians have it right um, when they take their holiday. And um, I, have, I have really struggled my first few years in Australia in trying to be like the U.S. version of myself, which was it was a badge of honor to not take your vacation time. Um, it showed greater commitment to the organization and uh, greater commitment to your career. And I have to say, in hindsight, I laugh at that. I think being the best version of yourself um, is to have rest and relaxation. And I'm unapologetic about it. And I create the same space for my people to be unapologetic about it as well. So I'm taking the long weekend here and there and I'm planning a proper um, time off um, over the Christmas holiday, too. So, um, yeah, I, um, it's important. Well deserved, Tracy. It's been a, a tough, long year, very busy. So I think you um, well earned that holiday. So enjoy your Christmas break. Now, before we uh, wind up there, you know, where can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably best. Um, I really enjoy um, the LinkedIn family. I read a lot and learn a lot on LinkedIn. Um, I wish I was a little bit more active in posting, but um, I do troll through a lot. Some of the life-giving leadership stuff, um, you know, I've gone to LinkedIn for. So I'd say, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to network. Thank you so much, Tracy. I will have the link in our um, podcast notes there. Thank you. This has been awesome and um, very exciting to be your first. That's Tracy Glenn, Head of Customer Assist and Fraud Operations at Latitude Financial Services. Head over to jobfits.com.au to access the show notes. Thanks for listening to the C-Level Conversations podcast. I am Amrita Murali.